In this episode, I host a conversation between iconoclastic yoga teacher Angela Farmer and internationally renowned counselor, workshop teacher, and author of The Wild Woman's Way, Michaela Bohm. Michaela shares her admiration for Angela's work, and Angela describes the journey of her relationship to her body, including childhood struggles, meeting her pain, and beginning a love affair with her body. Angela discusses her life's process of teaching and eventually going beyond traditional yoga, as well as sharing the remarkable account of recovery from severe injuries received in a recent fall. Angela and Michaela also discuss Milarepa and the Feminine, Surrender versus Giving Up, The Wisdom of the Body, Learning to Receive, and How to Meet the World in All One's Fullness. So without further ado, Angela Farmer and Michaela Bohm. Angela Farmer and Michaela Bohm, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be, good to see you again, Steve. Hi, Michaela. Hello, Angela. So I'm so delighted to be talking with you both. Angela, our previous episode together, that's number 117, which of course I'll, I'll link in the show notes, was enormously well received. And uh, just p- people absolutely love that episode. And, uh, you know, I was chatting with Michaela ahead of this dialogue. And Michaela was telling me about how she first became aware of you, Angela. And it's quite an interesting story. And I thought that might be a uh, a fun place to start. So, uh, Michaela, perhaps you could begin by recounting that story. Well, I, first of all, I want to say that I'm so thrilled that we get to have this dialogue and thanks, Steve, for making that happen because um, um, I came across you first at Kripalo in Massachusetts, uh, where we were both uh, teaching a workshop. At the, I was ending and you were coming in. And um, I, you know, didn't know you. This was early 2000s, probably. Um, and um, you know how how they have the lunch line there, and you have to wait to go into lunch. <laughs> and I saw you walk into lunch from behind, and in the way you walked, I was like, "Who is this?" And I, <laughs> yes. And I remember stalking you all the way to the buffet line to see who you were because of the way you moved your body. And um, I was so, you know, I I don't know how else to say it without it sounding very odd, but I was so taken by the way you, you were in your body that I asked around who you were, found out you were teaching, uh, snuck into the big hall, <laughs> whereas you got started. And then sadly, I had to go teach myself. I had my ending session, I think. Um, and, um, and, you know, kind of found out what you were doing back then. And then I went and found the feminine unfolding. And so this must have been really early 2000s. And I remember until this day, and this is why I'm so excited that we get to talk, that I watched The Feminine Unfolding back then still on a DVD. I had ordered the DVD, it arrived. Right? Yeah. And uh, I, I had this feeling of, you know, like when you almost want to weep with the joy of something being so, yes, right? because I 
already back then, I taught mostly women back then. Um, this was in, in the early days of my teaching career as well. Um, and, uh, and I've always loved yoga, but I, I just wasn't, it just wasn't my thing. And I had already developed my own movement modality and everything at that time. And so when I saw the feminine unfolding, it was this revelation of, oh, there's another way to do yoga. There's another way to be a woman in a body, moving the body in, in ancient ways, but also in very modern ways or, or normal ways. So um, you've had an enormous influence on my belief in what can be done uh, in in embodiment and in feminine embodiment. And uh, I've always wanted to, you know, come somewhere where you were teaching, but it just never happened because of my own teaching schedule as well. So um, that's how I first came across you. And I've uh, been, um, you know, just very struck by the, the work that you've developed and the way uh, you're teaching. And then of course, now recently, um, you're teaching online and I've been very fortunate to be able to uh, you know, get some of your classes after the fact and do them at home when I have a moment. And so uh, that's, how, that's how we met a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so lovely. I know, um, I know the feeling of when you see something or you read something, and you realize that somebody else also has been there. It doesn't matter uh, in what way, but it's a recognition, almost like um, a tribal recognition that this, this, this makes sense. And um, <clears throat> I'm kind of, of course, amazed that you noticed the way I was in my body because that <laughs> has been my struggle all through my life. Not all through my life. Um, I think when I was I was younger, I when I was really young, I I found a way to be in my body. I felt even I was quite small, probably uh, maybe six, five, six, seven, when I would lie in bed uh, and try to feel into every part of my body. It's as if I wanted to be present in every place in my body. And um, I, I just saw my body from the outside and I thought, but I don't know what's going on inside. I have no idea. This was way back in the World War II time. So, I mean, there weren't any, um, there was not TV or books or uh, teachers or anything around. We lived out in the countryside. But I had this very strong feeling that somewhere in the world, there was a way in which one could uh, learn how to be and to know every part of yourself through the body. And um, I thought, oh, well, you know, obviously I'll find it, but of course I didn't. And then it disappeared because life took over and all those things, not until till much, much later, because 
yoga was not happening in England at that time, or at least not uh, in any kind of known way. So by the time I did find yoga, it was like the door opened for me, but I then had to discover that in my particular body, there were a lot of problems. And so that has been a lifetime to, to try to reconcile myself to those problems. And in a funny way, of course, those problems have been my ultimate teacher. <laughs> but um, I always feel I am a bit clumsy. I don't move very well. And I look at other people who I think move <laughs> more beautifully. <laughs> but uh, gradually, gradually, by I went through the whole yoga process. Well, let's say. I went through 10 years with Iyengar's and Iyengar style yoga, but it just, uh, I found I was working from the outside or from the, from the mind onto the body. I was not really in my body. And it's so tricky, this whole thing with the body, because we, it depends on who you are and what your story is behind you. Um, because we come, come into yoga maybe with all kinds of feelings of uh, expectations of ourselves and uh, fears and traumas and things that have happened to us. And then uh, we judge ourselves. And that was the problem for me, I think, with that kind of yoga that with the emphasis on a performance of an asana, you are trying to do what the teacher says and looking at them. And then when your body doesn't manage or doesn't seem to manage appropriately or it's painful, or you have to hold in some part of you that is too weak or too painful to do that particular posture, but you want to do it to please the teacher, but also to please your, um, to satisfy your desire to progress in this system, then you start to judge yourself. And then, and this is what I realized was happening, that um, there was a sort of schizophrenic thing happening. There was this part that knew what it wanted and this part that was doing its best, like, you know, like a donkey or a horse, but the horse has got a limp or a problem somewhere and it can't quite do what this, what the master wants it to do. So um, that caused accidents and injuries. So that's that whole, there's a whole cycle that, um, I went through and <clears throat> what came up for me today that was really interesting because I was thinking, cause Steve had said um, there were two um, subjects for today. And, and one was the, 
the fall that I had recently, I'm going to stretch out my legs because I'm still recovering from, <laughs> from that. Um, and the other was, um, yeah, what was the other one? Uh, what's your other project, Steve? Oh, lots actually. We had sev several uh, embodiment role oh. models, uh, teaching mimicry, many things. <clears throat> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, the interesting thing that came up, and this is really an amazing time, I think, when may, maybe astrologically because of what the planets are doing, maybe because of all the stuff that's gone on with um, the restrictions and that for COVID, people have been more isolated. We've had more time on our own. I don't know, but anyway, what came up for me was this spiral. And spirals have always fascinated me. Whenever I've had a pencil and paper, I'm always doing some kind of spirals. And <clears throat> of course my fall happened because I fell, tumbled, whatever, down a spiral staircase, quite a brutal one. <laughs> It's a beautiful one, but it's brutal. And then suddenly today, as I was going back through my life, because this whole thing of what you mentioned, Michaela, being in my body, started really early, like I mentioned. And um, I did have some very early traumas, but I always had this excitement to be in my body. So I was climbing trees, I was hanging upside down and swinging from branches. I think I was basically very movement orientated. There wasn't much scope for any um, exploration in that in a formal way, uh, like at school or any classes or anything like that. But I was on my own always exploring and enjoying to feel movement. And <clears throat> at a certain point, I think I was about uh, maybe 11. Yes, uh, I was sent to a school that required bicycling, which suited me just fine. And we lived in a very hilly place. So bicycle up a hill, then down a very steep hill to the bottom of the valley, then push the bike up the other side. And then there was a sort of a gradual slope up onto a main road and then I got to this school. The school was pretty basic. It was um, a girls' school and the classes were in Nissen huts that were left over from the war. They'd housed um, Polish, not sure whether they were prisoners of war or refugees, but anyway, <laughs> that's all there was. There was nothing else. And uh, so I, in the break time, got all the girls together and started organizing what I thought athletics were out on a little bit of concrete. <laughs> um, so we had high jump and long jump and all that sort of thing. But the thing was that the bicycling on the way home, it was possible to just let the bicycle go on its own. It was, there were, it was, it was a winding road, but I found that I could stand on the saddle, saddle and I had a, my friend, 
uh, who was the milkman's daughter, um, we both had similar ideas and we could both stand on the saddle of our bicycles and guide it just by slight movement in the feet, which was an immensely satisfying. I mean, this was the highlight of my day. Uh, <laughs> school and home, okay, but this was the highlight. And then finally I got to the point where I thought, well, maybe I could also skip while I'm on the <laughs> And it was not so very long. So you just had to do all you wanted to do and then jump back down onto the bike in order to put the brakes on because you were going very steep down the hill to the valley. But this was wonderful. And that then for various reasons, my mother felt the school was unsuitable and I was sent to school in London. And that was a whole other world because there was no body experience possible. I had to leave at 6.30 or 7 in the morning and get to the station and sit in a crowded train with businessmen, commuters, all chain smoking. And uh, I spent an hour and a half each day in that train with chain smokers. And at the school, there was not time to do any sports or anything like that. So once a week, we walked up to the park and played netball. So I began to lose this lovely body feeling I had. And um, I had problems with the circulation in my hands and feet, I think from breathing in the uh, secondhand smoke and my feet and hands started to go black. So I was taken to a doctor and a specialist and he said, well, the best solution would be to go and live in the Bahamas. I thought, oh, this would be great. <laughs> I could run around in the sunshine all day with <laughs> lots of black children. And I thought this would be perfect. But of course, my mother had other ideas. So I was put in for surgery. Two surgeries, one that cut me in half here and one that cut me in half here. And they took out a whole bunch of nerves. A very crazy surgery. But um, that's what doctors did in those days. And now I've read they don't use it anymore because they see it's too damaging and dangerous. But I just bring that up because I see looking back on my life, how I had climbed up into this joyous place of standing on my bicycle. I mean, I was almost flying and then the spiral that took me down. So it was like a fall, a spiraling down. So then I had to climb slowly back. And that has almost been a half a lifetime's journey to find this, I was so blocked here and here. <clears throat> and so um, that was a big handicap in the yoga, but slowly I had to meet what was dysfunctional and accept it, but there wasn't room to accept it in that style of yoga because you were aiming to be perfect. And <clears throat> so that was another spiral down. I thought I was going up and then it was coming down again, but I had to leave that style and I wasn't sure, there was no teacher, there was, there was actually, all yoga was 
from men. It was all written by men and you only saw male yogis, which kind of suited me fine because um, I thought women were a bit boring. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought boys and men were much more interesting. But um, by that time, I realized I didn't know myself at all. And so there was, as far as I knew, no real role model for a woman doing yoga. It was all male yoga. So it had more of a male approach, which is more goal orientated. And since that had been my lifetime's experience, it didn't seem strange, but then suddenly I realized this wasn't working for me. And then began that spiraling down journey into my body and finding where places didn't work or where they or where there was pain and and learning how to stay with them and it was a very slow process but it began to open up a whole other part of me and there was a time when i would be practicing in this way and feeling into somewhere and <clears throat> going deeper and then suddenly the other style of yoga would come in and I just push a bit further. And then I, I would notice that. And it was like shifting from black to white or from dark to light. And then I began to notice what sort of percentage I could go on in my own process and what percentage was still this other, um, controlling way coming from here. So it was like gradually letting go and finding ways and <clears throat> finding that there was something else inside me that could move through the body. I didn't know or call it energy, but um, it was a sense that this is really me and this part that's really me is not actually getting through here. And so let's see what I can do to help it. So movement came in, little wriggles and squirms. And, and then um, I began to feel different and it helped me to feel what other people to feel other people. And I realized that, the, that I had never got there. I got here quite well. I was raised in England. I was quite good at tea parties and cocktail parties, you know, that kind of conversation because it kept everybody out there. I do remember when I was quite young, again, maybe 11 or 12, I was in the car of a friend of my mother's and she was talking to me and I noticed that I was talking back, but there was something inside me that was not the person talking back. It was a totally superficial person who was talking. And I thought, supposing 
she might see this other person inside me because this other person was starting to come up and it was a terrifying feeling that that somebody else would actually be able to see this little vulnerable part of me that had no words and couldn't speak so that was a that was a a little experience i had then but anyway the next thing that came up was that i uh, had a car accident and in that car accident um after it, I could really do nothing but lie on the floor for a few days. And that was when I began to feel I could receive the ground and the ground could receive me. And then parts of my body started to let go. And I suddenly saw, suddenly felt that every time something let go, it would almost be like something dropped. Mm -hmm. The breath became deeper and longer. And it was so fascinating. And by that time I, had, I was into Iyengar yoga and uh, it was the very early days and a friend had, a, had been to India and she'd come back with tapes from Iyengar's pranayama classes. So I would traipse across London every morning at about six o'clock and we'd sit together and listen to these tapes and try to go with this breath, this breath, this breath, and then hold, and then this breath, this breath, this breath out. And then we had a little clock and you would see how long you could hold the breath for. I thought it was great, but I didn't know anything else. But this experience, I thought, well, I looked at the clock and with no effort at all, but simply, entering my body and staying in one place and waiting and being with it until it released. Um, and the breath then got a little deeper and a little deeper. I noticed the clock just going around and I don't know, two or three minutes, I was just in one breath without any effort. So this was a huge boost. So I was starting to come up again. And um, then the question was what to do with the teaching because my practice was going in one direction, unwinding, and the teaching was going in the other direction, performing, controlling, building. And I was teaching in Montana. And um, Steve, did I, did I talk about this in the last podcast? Because I don't want to repeat things. Not, not in this way. Uh, of course, we touched on some uh, of these oh. themes, but these anecdotes are, are new. Oh, good. <laughs> I forget. <laughs> I forget everything, you know. It comes through and it's gone. Um, so that was when I was in a class. And I thought, this feels terrible. I'm like a polar bear on two pieces of ice and the, they're going further and further away from each other. So I just went outside for a few minutes and it was in Montana, big sky country. And there was a lake and a huge cloud coming up. And I just said, what do I do? And this very powerful voice came right through, bang, stand up and speak. So I went back 
and, and tentatively started to share what I was doing in my own practice, expecting, because, you know, in those days, the system was so strict that if you turned your foot one inch too far, you got shouted at. Uh, and it was somewhat military, to say the least. So I expected there to be a huge reaction, um, sort of medieval tomatoes being thrown at me. <laughs> but after the class, people came up and sort of whispered in my ear, oh, this is, this is how yoga used to be for me. And then somebody else said, this is how I've been practicing in my room where nobody can see. So I realized that there was something in everybody or in a lot of people that was bubbling to the surface under this pressure of this very military systemized style of yoga. And looking back, I see that everything that has happened has been some kind of uh, resistance, some pressure that has caused whatever wanted to rise to have more power and to come up. And so from then on, there was no stopping, you know. And so my teaching just continued, my practice continued, my teaching continued in that vein. And then I joined with Victor and he he was doing his own thing in, in his in his own process. And he also had heavy uh, blocks that had challenged him and injuries. So we we finally um, joined together. That's another whole long story. <laughs> but um, uh, it, the, I think we could then share and influence each other. And so that was really a beautiful process. Uh, ultimately, I realized that although that was wonderful, there was something in me that I had been alone so much of my life and so much of my teaching career that uh, that needed to um, some time on its own. And so when I was invited to teach a woman's course, a woman's retreat in Harbin Hot Springs, it just felt like this is my opportunity to learn about women to learn about the woman in me and an opportunity just to uh, refine that part of me because it's beautiful to work with somebody else, but you have to always be alert to, to them. So it's, it's a different, it's a, a different um, process altogether and really wonderful and people Students actually love it. And I discovered that actually they do a lot of projecting, of course. So for some, we're mama and papa. And for some, we're husband and 
their own experience of husband and wife or husband and ex-wife or wife and ex-husband or whatever. <laughs> and, um, oh yes, I was just remembering last night that once at the end of a course, we taught together here in Greece, one woman came up to me and said, did you notice that I stayed at the back most of the time? Well, you know, in a sea of people, you don't always notice all these things, but I had realized that she hadn't been very much in the front. And I said, okay. And she said, it's because you remind me of, your, of my mother. So that also was interesting for me that you just have to accept that they are putting, they're not just coming to learn yoga or whatever you want to, to show or help them with, but they're also um, working out their own issues through, the, through you as a couple. So that's when I um, started to do my Harbin retreats. And that was a huge and, and wonderful opportunity of uh, learning more about myself, learning more about women, because the women who came were, were wonderful. They were from all different walks of life, all different ages. And um, <clears throat> it was, it formed a sort of community. There was sort of over the years, because I started to do it every year, over the years, there was a core community. And as they came back each time, the thing began to develop more and more. And they produced the most amazing food. They always had two cooks who did beautiful vegetarian food, but a lot of the women helped with the preparation in the early morning. And then there were all the wonderful hot pools and watsu and all that. So it was an incredible place for women to undress, really, undress literally because it was clothes optional and undress all the boundaries and projections and stuff that had been put on them and they had put on themselves. So it was a perfect environment for exploring, unwinding and undoing. And I'm just so grateful that that happened. Uh, and the community, community built and there was sort of a, an outer range of new people that came in and then there was a middle range and then there was a core that sort of organized it all. So that was another spiraling up for me. Uh, I think I've had several other spiraling downs. I think we all do. And I think what I saw today when I came out of my practice was that this, this is the feminine for me of the Miller-Rapport story. And I had always uh, been fascinated by that story of Miller-Rapport. I didn't really, I didn't really understand why, but the fact that this guy, this powerful guy who was learning magic and all this and found that he could actually destroy a whole village um, then had to pay for his crime. And when he met his guru, 
and he realized that what, what the, that kind of magic he'd used wrongly. And so he bowed down to the guru and the guru gave him a task to build a house. And this was, this was great for a guy to go out and build a house. And so he did that and did it uh, obviously as best he possibly could and came back for approval from his master. And the guru said, now build another, now do and tear it down. And you, you can imagine what that did to him to go and tear down what he just built. So he went and tore it all down and he went back waiting for his next project. And the guru said, go and build another one. And this went on, I don't know, I can't remember how many times before he was finally allowed to enter the guru's real teaching. And then he became a very devout and famous yogi. So this was, this was a magical story. But now I see uh, that, especially as, as women, we have our own internal tumblings and sometimes our external tumblings in our process to emerge and discover who we are. And it's such a time now for women to find their find themselves and find their power without the roles that have been put on them for generations. And sadly, but maybe it's just part of the process. Uh, sadly, in many cases, it seems that we take what we think is the male role and by being as strong and as clever and as powerful and as unemotional that a man can be, um, we try that on, but it really is disastrous. It doesn't work. But then on the other hand, the sweet, pretty, ooh la la kind of feminine woman that I was always fascinated by, how do they do it? You know, how do they, how do, they do these movements to look sexy and <laughs> to look, oh, oh, and then, you know, they get taken out to dinner and they can have exactly what they want. It gave me the shivers, but it also fascinated me. <laughs> uh, so, so I wasn't looking for that. I wasn't looking really for either. And, but this way of practicing has, and because of the, tumbles and falls and the injuries I've had and the surgeries that have blocked me up in different places, um, they have all pushed me to discover that I, I really must come back, be inside and feel my way back into this body and be who I am and nothing else. I don't have to be more I don't have to be less, but to feel clearly who I am. And that's actually means making friends with the body and making a, having a love affair with the body, an intimate love affair with the body where you go in and get to know every little part and every part that's injured you're kind to that you're firm with to help it recover 
spend time with it. And then to notice what, what this body is giving back, which is the most amazing connections. And in the practice, you may not have some incredible insight, or you may not suddenly understand something, but you become so connected inside the body with the flow of energy, with your presence, or with the breath, or where you're stuck, and how it's almost like <clears throat> you go right down into this dark cave with a little flashlight, and you're right in one tiny little place looking into where the space, where there isn't space, how you can open, how you can breathe, and then just staying with it in an intensity of sensation. And it's not, I made this uh, division in, to help people in, in, the, in the teaching between pain and sensation. And it really helps because pain takes you back to the old way of working where you just grip and, and hold your breath and force your way through. Whereas sensation allows you to be present the tendency is if it's very strong sensation that you want to stop and run away again. But if you can go into that sensation and just see where is it, and if it moves over the, supposing as everybody does take one to 10, if it moves over 10, you're into pain. So you've got that beautiful boundary that if you find yourself tightening up, holding the breath, you know you've moved off sensation into pain. And that's not really helpful because you've divided yourself into two again. One is organic and intimate. One is cerebral and controlling. When you are totally present inside, or when I am totally present inside, this doesn't function at all. It's, well, let's say what I feel it does, this front brain relaxes and dissolves like rain. And I love that because the brain can rain down and it goes down into the body uh, in a way that transforms it into awareness, internal awareness, which is like a flashlight. So there we are. This has, this has stopped controlling everything. This has gone down inside and is working together with the body, kind of feeling, touching, loving, encouraging, breathing, moving to help this place revive and open so the flow of energy and your presence, basically your presence, it can live more fully in these all these different places. So <clears throat> that's been basically my practice. And uh, with this wonderful extended time that we've had because of because of the restrictions that were put on us. We didn't have groups here. We couldn't have groups here. We didn't travel. 
So suddenly there was more time. And it was what I had kind of always longed for, but never dared take, was a sabbatical. And I thought of all the things I was going to do. And then as people had told me, when you have a sabbatical, you do nothing for three months. And that was so true. I just looked at the trees and I moved, I swam and I did essential things, but I couldn't actually focus in any direction to achieve or do anything. So then my practice went deeper and because I had time, I didn't think, oh my goodness, I must stop now because I have a class or, oh, we've got to catch a plane to the next city or, oh, there's this to do or that to do. So the days sort of merged. I, I lost time. I've, I'm sure many people had this experience of losing sense of, of dates and days and everything. But um, I was actually starting to feel finally, I'm enjoying living in this body. I am living in this body. I have to do a lot every day to keep it because it's a, it is a, it is a bit dysfunctional and has its problems. But as long as I go each day into these places and open them up and arrive in them, it's like as long as I clean the house each day, everything is lovely and I feel happy and um, I feel energized and I feel loving and all those things that we want to be. So there I am, I get up in the morning, I think, ah, oh, what a wonderful day. I shower and do that. Then uh, I have this plan, of course here. <laughs> the plan is that I will go down and what I always do and put some laundry in, I will uh, go out and feed the cats. We have 50 cats that come from the neighborhood and they need their breakfast. So you go out and big bucket and you meet all the cats and do that stuff. And then I will practice, lovely, in this big, beautiful yoga hall with nobody there. <laughs> and then I will go for a swim in the winter, a winter swim, because there's a beautiful a natural hot spring there. So you can go and warm up after swimming in the cold sea. And then, I shall teach my class in the evening. Oh yes, I'll come back and have tea and something to eat. And then I will go and meet Bernd and we'll do the, do the class. Just seemed like a beautiful day laid out in front of me. So I picked up some garbage bags and a few other things on top to take downstairs. And noticed as I, we go out of our apartment, which is on the upper floor, and you go out onto the terrace and then there's another door that you go in and that's where the staircase is down. I had my glasses on my head. I've been doing some emails. So I thought, oh, I don't need those there. So I'll put them on the radiator, which was just there. But of course, with all these things and being distracted by the glasses, I just, I didn't see the step and I just, my foot just went over the top. And in that flash of realizing that I was falling, I put my hand out. But because it's a spiral staircase, the hand 
went like that. And so I started spiraling down. Bang, bang, wham, bang. I think I hit and damaged every part of my body. So it was, in retrospect, it was a total end to everything because poor Victor came out of bed. Um, he heard the noise and stood at the top of the staircase and <laughs> really shouted, don't do that. Although it's a bit late to tell me that. <laughs> but I was bleeding from my mouth and my nose and everything. Anyway, we live way out in the wilderness. No way was I going to sit in a bumpy car over two mountains to get to a doctor. And we don't usually go to doctors anyway. Um, Victor helped me somehow. It was, I could really barely move. I, my shoulder was dislocated. Everything felt torn and broken. My knee was swollen, swelled up because the bursa broke inside. But the process was interesting because for me, it was, there's nothing left except just to be, be with the pain. Because there was pain everywhere and every part of my body was injured and big wounds on the leg. So every movement was painful. Breathing was painful, except very shallow breathing. So literally the whole of my house came down. And I was so lucky that Victor was there and, and, and cared for me. He was really magnificent. Because just to, to move one part of my body was too painful, too difficult. I couldn't do anything. So the process took me away from anything I could conceive of doing. I just had to give up everything. I had to give up teaching, giving, give up moving, give up everything. Of course, it was not pleasant. Um, I didn't take painkillers. First of all, we didn't have any. Um, we don't use them, but um, I felt I need to be with this now, with everything and all the different places. Even though I can't move them, I just have to be with them. And that was my new rising up again. There were moments when I thought, this is it, I'm, I'm gone, you know. I don't think I'll ever be a really almost gave up a few times. I thought, I'll never move again. I'll never be able to do anything. It felt like I was going out. And the nights were the worst. They were really dark. It was a very dark time. And so for that, I'm grateful because there's nothing like hitting the bottom. When you hit the bottom, you know there's no further to go. I've had that before, some other experiences, but this was a total physical one. So now I'm coming slowly back 
and it's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle, you know, little bits by bits start to come back. There's uh, still some things that, you know, sometimes I wonder, I guess I'll never have an arm that works again, but slowly it's learning how to do things. And I think what has been important for me is that there really is no future. It's only now. It's only now and coming back and back again. Uh, the mind wants to go out, it wants to make plans, it wants to make judgments, it wants to uh, point at somebody else. No, there, there really is no future except just to be here now and to be here now in this body. And <clears throat> in this process of being totally present and feeling yourself coming alive in every part of your body, you feel this expansion of awareness that actually encompasses everywhere and anything that or anywhere you want to go. So in that way you can extend or I feel I can extend my awareness out and feeling it into what is happening in different parts of the world even or with other people and have a very clear understanding that is both open and truthful and somehow compassionate. I don't have that all the time, of course, <laughs> but it is for me the, the journey of going to the bottom, let going of everything, which has been our teaching, both Victor's and my teaching for a long time of letting go. And, <clears throat> but letting go in every, the body is such a perfect image because it, wherever it has a problem or it contracts, that's where you're not living in this moment. And as soon as you realize that, because these things are from old habits and old traumas and old injuries and old fears, we tighten up somewhere. If I'm in a hurry to do something, I lose this sense of being alive and happy in my body. And then I catch my back has closed up like that. And if I'm alert enough, I can say, you don't have to do that. And then it slowly lets go again, but often it doesn't. And so we go in and out of it. I go in and out of it. But um, I think this is, this, all these falls, spiraling falls and rising up again have, have been my life. And I have a feeling that it's many people's experience. And anybody who is out there presenting something wonderful, they don't just arrive at that point. You don't arrive. 
now where you are without, I'm sure, many, many spiralings down and up. And you see it and you recognize it and you see it in people's eyes. And stepping back, stepping back and softening internally, you get to your vulnerable place and only in that very vulnerable place you can receive. Mm. And then everything comes to you. <laughs> it's very beautifully said. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, I don't know, I'm trying to formulate this question because I'm so struck by what you're saying with the the, the letting go, right, the surrender, um, but at the same time, not giving up. And there's something in there that's, I think, really uh, interesting because like you said, you end up at the bottom. And, and when you end up at the bottom, you, ha you have to simultaneously give it up, but also not give it up, right? And so I had, um, you know, I had uh, experiences of that nature as well, of course, over, you know, many, many different kinds. And I'm wondering if you can say something about, it's, it's a very subtle thing of the surrender, but not actually uh, throwing in the towel, right? Or not go, going away. And you were saying it was so dark there, you know, the middle of the night, dark internally and externally. And you could have probably easily just given up, right? And left the body, so to speak. But you didn't leave the body and the body, the body did what the body does, right? So there, there's something in there. I don't, I, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, the differentiation between giving it up and giving up. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering if there's something you can say about that? I would first just like to say that I think for me, all these spiraling downs are into real accidents or real uh, falling in life somehow come for me personally when I have I feel in a good place. And so then I feel I'm ready to be up here. And that's the danger. Uh, but so much of our society is about living up here. And all of education, I mean, it's so sad. These little kids from this age are put in chairs and desks and they're filled up here and they have to sit still, you know, study and concentrate and so it's very very deep in us and then communication is up here for the most part and so it's very scary it was for me very very scary to to go down and these in the process of going down and coming up you build up more strength, more understanding, more presence. But then it's very easy to flip back up here, which is what just exactly what I did that morning. I had flipped back here and had my day planned out. And 
some wise force said, uh-uh. <laughs> so, <laughs> this huge, I had to have a huge roar to really get that message. And I think there's something in us, call it life force, call it presence, call it divine uh, presence, uh, intervention. I, I, the, there are no words for it, but there's something in us that knows exactly what's going on. And so when you're right down in the depths, it wants to keep you. And I've even noticed this, that actually I do, I'm not quite ready to be fully well yet, because then I will hop back up again into this cerebral place. I need to stay until these places in my body have fully digested what has happened to them so that we come back more or less all together. And little bits of me are not left in the underworld, which has happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And which unfortunately any um, <clears throat> conventional teaching and training tends to do, suppress those bits that uh, you don't need, that don't function well. And so I think there's something very wise inside us and we know it. <laughs> it takes us down and it keeps us down and it even allows us to experience, you know, maybe this is the end, maybe I'm on my way out. That's an experience. Would you miss that? You know, I asked myself, that, well, one or two times when I thought, oh, I'll just give up now hmm. and go. That was an experience. So I'm glad I had that. But whatever it is, this, and I don't think we should try to define it. I'm, I'm very wary of explaining everything. I try, I, of course, this loves to do that. And this was so happy today because it got this uh, vision of all these spirals through my life. But actually, it's okay, but it's, we have to throw it out because it is not the only, only thing. We, can't, we can never really define life. And the scientists do it. And I, I watched them, you know, stumbling and explaining viruses and going deeper and deeper into this and that and that and the other. I think, what the heck, what does this do? You know, we always managed before all this, viruses came and went, but now <laughs> all these virologists telling us what, what is happening to these viruses. And for me, there's something way beyond words that is so precious and so beautiful. And people all through history tried to put words on it. And if we can just refrain from explaining what it is, whatever it is, is like a plant unfolding and blossoming. It's so happy. It doesn't have a name. It's not informed. It's, it just 
is. And in that way, I am. And that to know. <laughs> and you can feel it. You can feel it coming up under your skin. You can feel it in, in your organs, in, in the spaces between your bones. And we have these wonderful glimpses of it. And I think when they come just to enjoy them and let them go, and they'll come back again, like the sun, you know, the sun comes and you go, oh, how wonderful. And you enjoy, and then a cloud comes over. That's okay, it comes again. I don't know if that helps. It does. It does. It's, I, I often speak about the body's natural genius when I try and, you know, you can't explain it. You're absolutely right. There's no, it's so, it's so unspeakable, right? And, and there's something so beautiful in the fact that you have to just allow the body to do what the body knows how to do, which is live. You know, and and sustain life and 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 repair and and all of those things that happen when we get out of the way and there is such a, a forcing of an external structure on something yeah. that that where there's a genius and so I loved when you were saying uh, you know you go on the ground and I just wrote this Instagram post two days ago that said sometimes the body just wants to drop to the ground and I think that's that that and and everything that comes with it is is the equivalent of what you just said when we try to impose structure on something that knows way better than we do we do an yeah. incredible disservice to what's possible. And that to me goes full circle to when I first saw you, um, because what made me so struck by the way you moved was that, you know, it was also in juxtaposition to a lot of other people walking in those hallways. <laughs> I've always thought it was such an odd place to, because it felt like a hospital, the, 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 the structure of the place felt like a hospital. And there's a certain kind of a thing. And then there was these, the, the way I perceived you back then, right, was just not, not within that structure, you know, not within that way of walking and talking and being and, and all of that. And so what everything you said, you know, in, in what you said brings me back to whenever I'm working with women, which is how I started out. Now I do all, you know, I do all different things as well, is that we are so used to structure being put on us and we're so used to putting structure on ourselves. And there's such a disservice in that on one end um, because it, it diminishes something, right? And then on the other end, of course, there's also freedom in having structure available, right? It's not just uh, structure is bad, we all need to, you know, uh, or we, we only need to be structured and we can't go the other way. I think it's, it's both like in a nervous system, you need parasympathetic and sympathetic to create homeostasis. And I think you need the, the understanding of structure, but also the, the deep um, trust that the, 
the unfolding, the unstructured unfolding is equally valuable. And, and so- well, structure, no, well, structure uh, is a very great help because it gives resistance. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you have you have the, the structure of a wall, and you put your hand on it, and and the resistance enables you to realize where you can open in other parts of you. And uh, there's nothing wrong in structure, but it's how how we are with it. One way that I have found really really helpful because of we meet somebody and immediately things start happening in our bodies because we feel another atmosphere or we have to do something we have to we have to think of the future there's a structure there the concept of receiving and for me this was so difficult um i had such difficulty to receive a gift always and you know, somebody would give me something, I would say, Oh, you shouldn't, you know, I would feel unworthy and feel, oh, that person spent too much money or whatever. A terrible English thing, but maybe not only English. <laughs> and again, it's in the body. Mm -hmm. We put we put up a structure, a boundary to what is coming to us, whether it's a person whether it's a, an animal, a child, whether it's a gift or what, even something not pleasant, we put up a boundary, but in the body. But if we can step back inside and allow a sense of melting to happen, a softening, we do it naturally. I was thinking you go out in the sun you let go your boundaries, your body, your body lets go. You don't, you don't think, oh, now I have to soften to receive the sun. Your body simply melts and you receive this wonderful loving warmth into your body. But we can do that in a situation where we feel nervous or we feel too cerebral, how can I get back? And just that melting inside uh, is the surrender that you're talking about in the letting go or the falling onto the ground and being received by the earth. It's that receiving that enables us to handle structure. Mm. And I know in Kripalu, the, it is a very structured place and it's a very strange building. And it, I think it's got more and more structured but um, all we have is our own body, our own being. So then I found if I can just soften inside, then everything's okay, because I'm back to where I really belong. Mm -hmm. So you can be out in the world, but you can also be out, but stay in your soft. It's like a, like a snail or any animal that has a shell. You know, you just soften back inside and it feels so nice. It's especially true in hugging, you know, people want to hug. And mostly it's very uh, challenging to move into someone's whole auric field as well as physical field. 
And so both parties will put on some defense and then hug. And I do something sometimes in the class where I invite people after we've worked on this receiving and first they receive the wall and then they receive something else. And then they move around the room and see somebody and stop. And then they wait until they've melted and they feel they can receive them at this distance. And then they go a little closer and the boundaries come up and then they soften and then they go closer. And very often they just fall into each other and the tears come and the warmth because we don't normally do that. And it's so beautiful. I'm laughing because I do a similar thing um, as well uh, in, in the context of, uh, of couples meeting where it's the same thing, right? It is assumed that bodies are supposed to just come together because two people are together or want to be together. And so we do the similar thing where, where nobody could progress towards the intimacy, so to speak, till the body was ready. And that's a, a sometimes really startling revelation to people when they realize and when they be made aware of how much, you know, the body isn't ready and how often we brutalize ourselves into making the body ready before the body is ready, right, by just going in. And I think yeah. right in there is such an incredible richness of learning that you don't have to hug till you're ready to hug. You don't have to be intimate even with your own partner till you're ready to, to be intimate on all levels, not just like you said, in your head where you're going, we're on a date now, we must you know, do the thing or something like that. And so I, I, I agree so wholeheartedly with this um, as, a, as a means of um, really allowing sensitization to all parts of us so that all parts of us come to the occasion regardless of their yes. intimate partners or just two people meeting in a workshop and if we don't have somebody else there there's so many places in our own body that we can receive yes and don't receive sometimes mm. yeah what what is what is the timing steve are we meant to stop I think we're we're heading in that direction. Yeah. Um, this has been I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe uh, maybe we can move towards ending then. Perhaps with with another one more question, Michaela, from your from your bank there. What do you think? Yes. Mm -hmm. oh, well, I have two. I'll ask Angela which one she wants to um, engage in. So. One question that I've had is uh, essentially female role models, right? And you said a lot about that in the sense that I know exactly what you're talking about when you say the projection, right? You become somebody's mother or wife or father or husband, right? So there's that, but there's also, um, we learn through resonance, right? And so uh, when ultimately we we see a body or or see someone practice in the way or do things the way that we know is right, when we see it, 
it, it has a profound effect. And that's how I started out when I saw you practice, even though I'm no, I, I'm back then I still practiced yoga. I don't, you know, practice yoga anymore, but it, everything in my body went, yes. Right. And I remember Steve once showed me a video of uh, women nuns in Tibet somewhere coming out of a three-year retreat. And they were filming them coming out of that retreat and their faces, like I, I cried so much because I had such a, there was such, such a relief in seeing their bodies and their faces after having been on a three-year retreat in the, the wildness and the freeness, right? There, it, 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 I've never had that with seeing a, a, a male, you know, a retreatant the way I had it with these women. And I had that with you in, in the feminine unfolding. I don't have that very often. Um, I don't often feel my body see someone and say, yes. Yes, right. And there's something to resonate with and aspire. So my question is twofold. Do you have, I'm now talking specifically women, women's, women, you know, women's bodies to women's bodies, but this, you know, uh, do you have or had people that you had that with? And, um, or did you not? Have, did you have to develop it all yourself? Um, so that that and and then also when you, of course now you know it's online, but still when you teach, um, is that something that you actually feel that you bring the 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 resonance to the teaching, or does it just happen naturally? You know, that was the problem. There was no um, nobody that I really saw it in. Of course, you know, sometimes you'd see, I might see a, a film like with Nuria. There were always inspirations or a great athlete. I, I would be just so excited, so fascinating. But the real teachers for me, I think, were animals. Mm -hmm. To see horses galloping, to see a, a, a tiger moving, and feel—I would feel in in my own body. Oh, you know, I would find myself trying to uh, connect and feel that sense of a huge uh, paw coming out, uh, or the speed um, and bears. You know, bears. That, that was so interesting because it opened up for me the whole thing of our bodies were, uh, are still really um, remembering being on all fours. And actually, it was a very good design. Our body was a good, this body was a good design for all fours because you are always lengthening the spine as you walk. And not only as you walk, you are moving this and then that side. So each side gets the length and the organs get the stretch and the movement, plus all the organs hang down. So they're all sort of like others of a cow, you know, <laughs> moving around inside your body, not as much, but they have a freedom 
that when we stand upright, and this is one of the big things that uh, yoga or whatever kind of movement can compensate for. We have to compensate. So if you don't move and you sit all day, your body starts getting into big trouble. That's where most of the medical problems come from. And uh, especially in, in the back, because all the vertebrae, as you know, start collapsing. And um, so, and the head is always going forward so you don't shorten your neck. So, um, imitating animals, even coming out of the sea, I tried to move like a lizard because you're, you know, when the water's only about that deep, you can use your arms and your legs like a lizard and feel the lengthening of your spine. And now we have cats, you know, because they are brilliant, but no way could I ever get my leg up behind here and clean my inner thigh. <laughs> and they just do it so easily. And then they fold over each of themselves totally. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I, I do see, of course, in other people, it's usually more just little bits. I love the way that person moves their spine, or I love the way that person's neck is. Often in people who have not lived in cities and been civilized so long, they move more beautifully. You know, some Africans are, are they're just gorgeous to watch them striding along. And, um, but I, you know, at this point in my life, the only person I can really rely on is this one here, because it, it teaches me everything, and it's quite a strong teacher. <laughs> something else I can't remember what it was you wanted. Uh, I, I can't. Oh no, I was just. This was more. This was kind of the secondary thing, and you'll have to let me know when when to stop was that when you were teaching then and there's on one end the danger of the projection right but then on the other end there is ah, the yes. there's mm -hmm. the gift of the resonance right um where um you're teaching you the way you are in your body right informs other people and gives them the freedom to be who mm -hmm. they are or informs them in in some way and the, my question was is that something that um, I'm assuming this is just something that happens because like you said, you are relying on your own body and you're just doing your thing and it gives other people the, the freedom to do the same. Or is it something that you also have to actively encourage because of how, well, I should say it differently. I don't know if you've noticed, but I started teaching women, or I started teaching, but then teaching women in the mid nineties, you know, and I've been teaching ever since. And for me, things have substantially changed in how much people are in their heads and how little they are in their bodies. And, and yeah. you know, there were, there were issues back then, but it's gotten so much worse. So I'm wondering if in your teaching, you are noticing uh, that you have to do more emphasis on one thing than you used to before, or you have to do more encouragement uh, in 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 the feeling inwards, or the, or is it been the same all along? 
Well, I think it's just that I changed, you know, I, I, I don't expect them to perform anything. I try to encourage them to start enjoying and feeling their bodies. But, uh, you know, of course you present a theme or I want to share something that I, uh, that is important to me, like opening the space, how to open space in your shoulders or, or whatever it is. And um, so it, it, it is a kind of a back and forth thing that uh, evolves and I give them time to explore. And because I think that's what's most important, not that they perform anything special, but that they start to feel happier about meeting somewhere inside themselves. Um, and when I have uh, the people there, of course it, it flows much more easily because uh, I can touch them, I can see them, I can feel them and I lose myself totally. It's just like something, there's an energy that flows. It's much more difficult on the Zoom because I don't see anybody. Um, Bern could put everybody up, but a lot of people turn their cameras off and it's just too confusing to see a lot of people. So yes. um, I have to more have something I want to share and do my best to share it and show if possible. It's, a, it's another thing altogether. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that you're saying that actually, because that's definitely been a, you know, a huge shift uh, that that beautiful uh, connection of being in a room with people and feeling the entire room and the room feeling you and, and, and all of that is of course gone in Zoom and uh, it's a totally different medium where you probably- It is, but I, I think it's possible. There is something possible there that is happening anyway if 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 we get if we stay out of here too much uh, there are, and feel from here or here <laughs> there is something you that is happening uh, you are you are with everybody wherever they are in the world and it just takes a bit more energy yeah I've also noticed it's wonderful. It's a wonder. It's a wonderful opportunity. I mean, this is this is amazing yeah. that one can do this. But I long, I long to to um, be present with a group again. Me Hopefully too. Soon. <laughs> yeah, me too. I do. I have to say what what you're saying is also my experience in the sense that I found something very surprising uh, that people practicing getting the instruction in their own room where they always practice um, is, is has been really quite an eye-opener because typically people come right there in the group they're in the room they're in a retreat so to speak and then they go home and they have to take it to their home and so I found that um, having people be in the same place that they are when they practice the next day and the next day and the next day has been quite interesting because a lot of people have said that um, it's been, you know, it's really been grounding their practice and informing and, and helping their practice mm. at home. So I think there is that and there's a wonderful thing about being in a room with people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been uh, fabulous. Mm -hmm.
really fabulous. Thank you so much, Angela and Michaela, for for this recording. Really, really incredible. And uh, I'm very pleased to hear of your recovery, Angela. I know that was quite a quite a significant set of injuries, collection of injuries. So I'm very I'm very delighted. I'm sure Michaela is also very delighted uh, at your recovery. In fact, I'm I must say I'm I'm rather shocked and stunned. <laughs> yeah. So, well, Steve, it's lovely, lovely to see you again uh, in your little monk hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, from, um, from my monk hole, Angela Farmer and Michaela Bohm, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye, Michaela. Lovely to talk with you. Bye, Angela. Wonderful to connect with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.